Greetings, everyone. We are the Cinema Addicts, and this is the Cinema Update. First up, as usual, we have Box Office Robbie with his Box Office Report. So let's see what did well this week and see who didn't make the list. So I'm wondering who made number one. Hmm. So here's Robbie. Yo, Adrian! This is Box Office Robbie, and this is your Box Office Report. Alright, so let's get into the thick of things. This week, we had a couple new releases, and this is the top five movies of the weekend, October 2nd through the 4th. So, number one this weekend... And no surprise, The Martian, the new Matt Damon sci-fi film, opened at number one with $55 million. Falling to number two this week, but still with an impressive weekend, Tally is Hotel Transylvania Part 2. It pulled in $33 million this weekend for a total of 90 and so far is tracking ahead of the original part. And the third spot, expanding to wide release this week past weekend, was Sicario. It pulled in 12 million and now stands at a total of 15 million. And the fourth spot is The Intern. It pulled in 11 million this weekend and now has a total of 36 million. And the fifth spot, weighing in at 235 pounds, okay, <laughs> um, is the Maze Runner sequel, Scorch Trials. This weekend it pulled in 7 million and has a total of 63, tracking well behind its predecessor. So, for the top 5 movies of the year so far, with only a couple months left, as usual, Jurassic World is the number one film still, with 650 million. Number two is Avengers Age of Ultron, 458 million. Number three, Inside Out, is 353 million. Number four, Furious 7, has 351 million. And rounding out the top five is Minions, with 333 million. So the top five is pretty much settled in and locked in. And we probably won't see any movement up there until November. So for the following weekend's. Predictions, we are moving along. This weekend, October 9th through the 11th, we have one big new wide release and a previously limited release expanding to wide release. Seems like we've been getting a lot of that the last few weeks. So this weekend, we have Pan with Hugh Jackman, Garrett Hedlund, uh, Amanda Seyfried, R uh, Rooney Mara, 
quite a few stars in this uh, new Peter Pan adaptation. This this Peter Pan here film follows the origins of Peter Pan and James Hook, who goes on to become Captain Hook, which we all know. Uh, Hugh, Hugh Jackman in the film, not Hugh Jackman, I guess Zach said Brian called him one day recently, um, <laughs> goes on to play the villain Blackbeard. And he's pretty much the villain in this film. And so we see kind of like a backstory here of um, James Hook, who becomes Captain Hook. And I kind of found that interesting. I'm not overall impressed with how this film looks, but we'll see what kind of money it makes this weekend. Uh, I am interested in seeing uh, Garrett Hedlund play uh, a young James Hook. So we'll see how this film turns out. But as far as this weekend, I'm predicting Pan opens up with $25 million, Which will probably make it be second place. I feel like The Martian will probably still be number one this weekend. Also opening is The Walk. With Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Or Levitt. <laughs> this film was uh, previously released in Limited. And it's now being expanded to wide release. Um, and of course, uh, it's about the f French high wire artist who famously walked between the World Trade Center in 1974. This movie here probably be interesting to see in IMAX, but otherwise, I'm not too thrilled to see it. I'll wait for a uh, home release. But as far as the box office goes, I'm predicting it expands to 12 million wide release this weekend, which will probably put it in the fourth spot. Because Hotel Transylvania will probably pull in another $20 million and be in third. So that is the box office report this weekend. This is box office Robbie as usual. We'll be back next weekend with more results and more predictions. I'm out. I am not surprised at all that The Martian made number one this weekend. I actually got to go see this film, and later on I will review it when we do our whole little movie reviews. I thought the movie was great. I there's there's no doubt in my mind why this you know movie did so well. But next up, if you can guess it, if you guys watch, listen every week, is the movie news. Welcome to Eyewitness News at 6 with Susan Ortega, Evan Baxter, Fred Donahue Sports, Dallas Coleman Weather, and now Buffalo's number one news team. Good evening and welcome to Eyewitness News at 6. I'm Susan Ortega. And I'm Evan Baxter and here's what's making news. A potential scandal with the Buffalo PD surfaced today when the mayor... <coughs> Let the mayor... Let the mayor... <coughs> Like usual, there's quite a bit. There was a little couple this week I kind of just, you know, just didn't really talk about because one, you know, don't got time to do everything with the movie news because, you know, every day there's like 10 stories that comes out and if 
I were to do every story, this would be like a five-hour-long podcast, but it is what it is. So first up, we got some Suicide Squad news. Well, it's not really news, more of like a statement. Looks like Will Smith had stated that he actually has not yet met Jared Leto. This is weird, you might ask, because aren't they in the same movie and have the same scenes? Well, according to Will Smith, Leto stayed in character the entire time, which there are rumors and you know things going out before where you more or less knew that he's going to stay in character because every time they would have a photo shoot, he would not be there. He would send them like dead rats as presents and stuff because he's crazy. <laughs> but they worked together for six months and never exchanged a word outside of action and cut. You know, this right here should kind of show you the kind of effort Jared Leto is putting into this character. Hopefully this doesn't mean that he's going to be overdoing it. You know, I, I don't know if, like, when he goes home he acts like the Joker, or if it's just when he goes to work, it's just nothing but in character. Hopefully that's the case, and when he goes home he's not trying to murder people and whatnot and have crazy murderous Joker dreams at night, but... They um, He had said before that he's going to be locked away in a room for a while, which I'm guessing he locked himself up mentally as Jared Leto and was the Joker 24-7. So it's going to be pretty interesting to see what kind of performance he has. Jared Leto is a great actor, has an Oscar. You know, he's actually in a band that does pretty well. This guy's like a jack-of-all-trades, and I have no doubt in my mind that he's going to pull off a great Joker. Now, everyone's going to be like, well, is he going to be Heath Ledger good? Well, the thing is, is there's two different people. There's two different performances. It's two different characters somewhat. You can't really compare it. You know, you can't really compare Heath Ledger to Jack Nicholson. Because, for one, the first Batman movie was a Tim Burton movie, so you know that's all silly and dark and stuff, and... The Dark Knight is more serious, so of course you're going to have two different types of Joker. I look at them as different characters with the same name and same kind of background, but they're written towards what the movie is. So that's all I really got to say about that. So there's some director news for the upcoming Fast and Furious for Furious 8. Looks like... Rumors that Vin Diesel was going to possibly direct this movie is not true, which I would kind of like to see what he would do with the movie, which I am sure he's like, you know, full control of the movie anyway, because he's one of the producers, because he lives, breathes, and shits Fast and Furious. But there are four directors that are in the current lead to be taken on this new movie. First up, we have F. Dot. Gary Gray. This is the director that had just came out with Straight Out Compton, which is a very, very good movie. We have reviewed this movie already, me and Robbie have. Both really like this film. I think he might be a good choice, but I'm not sure how he's going to do with an action movie. Yeah, he has drama under his belt, but Fast and Furious is not a dramatic movie at all. 
is you know pure adrenaline nitrous oxide induced fast paced car race and jumping a lot of jumping type of movie that defines the laws of physics so i don't i don't i i think he'd be able to get a good performance out of the actors i just don't like i said don't know how he would handle a action movie next up is adam wingard he is known for the guests have not seen this don't know what's about so there you go uh, next up is louis ladder or Leterrier. Leterrier, i think that's how you pronounce it he is known for directing the film grinsby don't know what this is either and also will eubank Apparently he is the least known director. He's only has two smaller films under his belt. So out of all four of them, I would have to say F. Gary Gray, just for the fact that I know who he is. I've seen his work, and it's possibly you know going to be not up for Oscars and stuff. But really, we have no. Seems like we have no good action directors for this. You know, long. You know. I, Talking about action directors, as long as Michael Bay is not considered for the new Fast and Furious because he's going to somehow, you know, tie the movies into Transformers probably, you know. Michael Bay, can't trust that guy. That's going to be hilarious. Vin Diesel's going to be in a car race and it's going to start turning into a Decepticon trying to kill everyone. I would like to go see that spoof movie. (laughs) Just saying. Uh, another news, we got a little bit of Star Wars news, only doing one Star Wars article this week. There has been a new character that has been released um, through like a toy line and everything for the upcoming Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens. Looks like there's this new X-Wing pilot, his name is Elo Asti, and I bet you guys can't guess what he is named after. Give up. The Beastie Boys. J.J. Abrams is in love with the Beastie Boys. He seems to be incorporating the Beastie Boys in all of his films. Star Trek, there's that whole scene with... Uh, um, what's his face? Kirk, where he's a young kid. He's stole this car and they're playing Sabotage, which is a Beastie Boys song. And I'm pretty sure he played another Beastie Boy song in Star Trek 2, but I can't remember exactly which song it was. But anyway, this character is named after a Beastie Boy album, Hello Nasty. They just dropped the H in the end, so it's Hello Nasty. Hello Asty. Also on the helmet off to the side there are some characters i forget what language it is but it's one of the star wars languages someone on twitter actually translated what that says on the side of his helmet it says born to ill which if you're a beastie boys fan you know that ties to the beastie boys so i i think that's pretty cool that he's able to incorporate some of the things he loves just like how he incorporated like r2d2 in several different scenes in star trek I think it's really cool. It gives his little own touch, and I don't know. It, I, I like that. I like that kind of stuff. Uh, next up, we have a little Avenger news. 
that's not real news. Old news with the uh, Age of Ultron. Looks like Loki was supposed to be in this film. There was a scene where Thor goes into a jacuzzi cave, I like to say. This little um, portal springs where, where he like kind of just swims around and he starts tripping balls. There's a scene where he sees Hemdale, played by Idris Elba. Apparently Loki was supposed to be in this part, but they felt that if word got out that Loki was going to be in this film, that people would think that Loki was behind Ultron, controlling him the entire time, which I when I before I even read this article, Loki was cut from Avengers. I was thinking, oh God, was he supposed to be masterminding everything that was going on with Ultron the entire time? Did he kind of get into everyone's ear to help make Tony Stark, you know, get to that point? You know, it's it's very interesting to you know they could have had done a thing where he's acting like he's Tony Stark and Tony Stark's actually locked away and. Loki's little crazy jail cell or something that he has made. I think that would be pretty interesting. <laughs> and then Loki's Iron Man during the upcoming Civil War. But that's just silly talk. Uh, let's see here. Thor... Not Thor. Loki will actually be back in at least one more movie. It's going to be rather the Infinity War 1 or Infinity War Part 2. Maybe he's going to get killed off in one of these movies. Because I know after Infinity War 2, all the characters are supposed to be reset. New actors, new superheroes. So it'll be interesting to... Sorry, the page-turning sounds. Page-turning sounds. Okay. It'll be just kind of interesting. Next up, we have Rick Moranis. Kids nowadays might say, who in the hell is Rick Moranis? Well, kids, Rick Moranis was a great, great comedy actor who took a hiatus. The last movie he was in was 1997. Um, He took a hiatus because his wife had passed away from breast cancer, and he decided, like, I'm going to focus on raising my kids. And he has not been in a feature film since then. So it has been 18 years since he's been in any sort of film like that. Now, he has done voice work here and there, but, you know, his personal being, his presence has not been on film for the most part. Looks like he was approached to do a cameo for the upcoming Ghostbusters film, but he says it makes no sense for him to do it. He doesn't understand why shoot a scene for one day on for a movie that he did 30 years ago, which I don't understand. It would have been really cool if he would have because the original cast, other original cast members are going to be there, the living ones. Even Sigourney Weaver is going to make a cameo, but, you know, Sigourney Weaver just pops up everywhere, you know. So I I would like to see him actually come back and do some great comedic roles he says that he's not retired it's just if he finds a script that he's actually interested in he'd be more than willing to actually be part of it which i hope that does happen one of these days because when he comes back i think he's going to come back with a a vengeance 
Speaking of vengeance, well, not really. We have some more news with Prometheus 2. Looks like there are going to be some new explorers that are going to be added to the film. Um, Elizabeth Shaw and David will be joined by these new travelers in the first act of this film because you need more people to die. That's pretty much what it comes to. You got to have more characters that can get killed when they go see the engineers. The movie's going to be a very boring horror sci-fi film if it's just Elizabeth Shaw and David just sneaking around trying to figure out the secrets of the universe and no one dying. Maybe David malfunctions, but people are not going to be like, oh my god, there's so much gore, there's gears everywhere, and robot juices. So you got to have more people to add to the scariness and dramatic and craziness that's going to end up happening. It's going to be kind of interesting to see how these people are going to be introduced. Um, these explorers could be a follow-up mission from Wayland Corporation or some kind of military vessel. I think that when Elizabeth Shaw and David are going to be traveling to the engineer's homeworld, that they are going to be intercepted by another spaceship and they're probably going to have like some kind of confrontation like we're trying to go to these people they killed all of our people and blah 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 and possibly maybe they'll think there's some kind of monetary value that they can get out of going to one of these places maybe they can find some kind of research where they can make some kind of super weapon or something of that kind of sorts so that's what I think is going to end up happening. It could be different. could be completely wrong. I'm not sure. Uh, next up, we have Terminator Genesis. Sequels are still happening, but are getting readjusted. There was a little article that came out not too long ago saying that the film has been indefinitely shelved. I guess the producers have just came out saying it has not been indefinitely shelved is actually going to be um i said um sorry it is actually just getting readjusted they are going to change some things they are actually going to talk to the people that have seen the movies and ask them you know what do you want to do what didn't you like that kind of stuff to hopefully make a better film, which they should have done in the first place. I'm sorry. They need to get some freaking writers in there that actually love the Terminator series instead of just people that want a freaking paycheck. But, you know, that's neither here or there. Uh, looks like Bad Boys 2, or not Bad Boys 2, Bad Boys 3 may come in 2016, according to Will Smith. He said, don't be surprised if you have a new Bad Boys film in the next 12 to 16 months. It has not yet been confirmed if him or Martin Lawrence will be in this movie. I personally would love for them to be in this movie. I'd like to see Martin Lawrence come back and actually be in something. Because back in the day, Martin Lawrence was hilarious. And I would enjoy seeing him act again. But I don't know why I haven't seen him in anything forever. Uh, other news, looks like they're making a Shining prequel called Overlook Hotel, which will be its own movie. Looks like the writer for this movie is going to be uh, Glenn Mazzara, who is the guy that's running The Walking Dead currently. Well, he's one of the head writers for The Walking Dead, I should say. Which, uh, 
makes me feel very good about a Shining sequel that is going to be written by some guy that actually is you know, a good writer for the most part. I know there are a lot of people out there don't like The Walking Dead or think it has poor writing, but I think it's good. You know, it's an actual name. People that watch The Walking Dead are going to be kind of attracted to this. I mean, people are going to be attracted to this anyway just because of The Shining. It's one of the most iconic horror films out there, but, you know. This will take place several years before The Shining, and it will be based on the prologue that was actually cut from the original film. The prologue from the book actually included some information. It says that the first owner, Bob T. Wilson, a robber baron at the start of the 20th century, who set out to build the greatest resort in America, nested within the Colorado Rockies, where he and his family also live. So I'm thinking that the plot twist here is that Possibly he's the original person that went insane and killed his family. Maybe those twin girls were his kids and he ended up killing them. And that, you know, he killed the rest of his family there and that some new owners took up the place and that his vengeful spirits and the spirits of everyone else is still there because they are unable to leave because they died in a violent way because... What have we learned from horror movies? Ghosts remain when they die violently. So, And that could also be why later on Jack Nicholson goes crazy is because the Bob T. Watson guy is tormenting you know, him from the grave. So that's why I think it's going to happen. Next up... Gina Davis wants to return for Beatles, bleh, Beetlejuice 2. And I guess no one has contacted her yet. I don't want her in this movie. I don't want Alec Baldwin in this movie because when you die, you do not age as a ghost. They do not look like anything like they used to. Alec Baldwin used to be this thin, slender guy. Now he's this big, stocky guy. With a little belly on him. And Gina Davis, you know, definitely looks like she's had some plastic surgery and she's a lot older. Yeah, they can do some digital um, digital makeup on them and stuff, kind of like what they did with Michael Douglas and Ant-Man. But I don't want to watch, you know, an hour and a half CGI fests where they're, you know, basically cartoon characters. I'd rather this be Beetlejuice moving on with Winona Ryder in a new location and maybe Winona Ryder has a family and all hell breaks loose because, you know, her old pal Beetlejuice is causing some trouble. I I think that might be what happens. But who who knows? Next up we have Assassin's Creed movie lands two big movie stars. Well, one's big, one's, you know, you may have heard of them. The first up is Jeremy Irons. Everyone knows who he is. He has a very iconic voice. He's going to be in the new Batman versus Superman. He is Scar in The Lion King. And Brendan Gleeson looks like they're both going to be playing fathers of the two main characters. Jeremy Irons will be playing Marion Cotillard's father. And Brendan Gleeson will be playing Fassbender's father. So... I'm kind of wondering why they even have these characters' fathers in here, but 
maybe one's a Templar and one's an assassin that I don't know. <laughs> and last up, we have a little news with Guardians of the Galaxy. Looks like Danny DeVito was originally up to play the voice of Rocket Raccoon because, you know, he's a little short guy and he's the size of a raccoon, but fatter. But the producers felt that he was too old to play the voice. Rocket Raccoon is a younger person and Danny DeVito is older than the hills. But, you know... Rocket Raccoon would have just, you know, a little bit more of a raspy voice. um, Danny Glover has one of the more iconic voices. When you hear his voice, you know who it is. Which, you know, may have kind of distracted people when they're watching the movie. It's very unclear. I think it would have been interesting interesting seeing him play Rocket, but I think Bradley Cooper did a great job, more or less. But moving on. Next up, we have Brian with his movie trailers. He has one trailer that he talks about forever, so good luck with that. Here's Brian. Okay, so the movie trailers this week... Really didn't have much at all. I kept holding out, holding out to record this because I was hoping some more movies would come out. There was a few, or not a few, maybe a couple movies that i seen also, but they were really, really small budget independent films that was released, like very limited. So it really wasn't worthy to discuss about. But there was one trailer that came out last week. That's really, really good. I love, love this trailer, this movie. I I definitely want to keep an eye out for it. This movie is called The Force. So, and I found out some interesting things about this movie. It stars Natalie Dormer. Dormer. She's also the actress that plays in Game of Thrones. And she's played in other movies, too. Uh, I guess she's in The Hunger Games, too. I I think I've also seen she plays in the movie Rush. She she's doing a heck of a performance. This trailer, she's doing a heck of an acting job. Basically, what this movie's about is there's a forest over in Japan. There's two different names they call it. They call it the Sea of Trees or the Suicide Force. And Natalie in it, she has a twin sister, and she up and just mysteriously disappears. No one knows where she went. And somehow she finds out that she went over to J- Japan. To this suicide force. So only one thing comes to mind. She went over there to do suicide. So the movie is about her. Going over there to Japan. To that force. To find out where her sister's at. And pray to God that she's still alive. So in the trailer it shows her going over in that force. And she's starting to run into all these. Unrested evil spirits that are coming after her. There's a scene where. This weird looking figure, I don't know what it is, is behind her while she's walking and then one scene where it's up right behind her back and she turns around and scares her and all this. So this movie's got my attention big time. I really liked what I'm seeing. So I did some research on Wikipedia and some other sites about this suicide force. And 
there really is in real life. There is a this there's a really a force over in Japan. I had no clue. There there's a J- Japanese name for it. I cannot pronounce it whatsoever. Um, <laughs> but lots of people go by the sea of tree the the sea of trees or uh, suicide force. They actually have a sign posted at the entrance of this force that says suicide visitors or whatever. Here's a hotline. Get help. Think about your family and friends. There's literally a sign warning that because in documents up leading up to 1988, which is also the year I was born, so that's cool. But <laughs> up to the year of 1988, there has been a hundred suicides that would happen every year. Every year, a hundred people did committed suicide in this forest. Then later reports in 2003, or no, 2002, 78 bodies were found in the forest. Then the next year in 2003, 105 bodies were found. Never, never remember hearing about this on the news. And then also in 2004, another 108 bodies are found in this forest. In that year. 2010. 54 bodies again. There was over 100 some that attempted suicide. But only 54 actually completed the act. And did suicide. And the reports are that most common suicides that happen in this forest. Are either hangings. Or drug overdoses. So I thought that was very spooky. That's what's making me really want to see this movie even more. Find out that this is actually movie is being made because of the true life force over in Japan. It makes me want to go over to Japan to go check out this force. I mean, that is crazy. And this force is huge. I forget what the acres are, but this force is huge. It's just a, any other force, you know, that you see out there. It's really huge. Lots of acres of, of none but tall trees. So... This movie here, I cannot wait to see. I can't wait to see more trailers of it. So, if you haven't seen this trailer, go online, go to YouTube or wherever, and type it in, The Force. It's really good. I also found out, too, that I guess one of those Sundance Festival films was made back in, came out came out back in May of this year, and it stars Matthew McConaughey. Did not know it. it was, it's it's another movie. It's it's called. Uh, I don't know if it's called. So I think it might be called the Sea the Sea of of uh, Forest or something. It's one of the names of the forest, but that movie I guess is about him going over there. I don't know if he if it said it, he was a doctor or what in the movie, but he goes over to that forest to do suicide. But when he goes over there, he runs into another guy that's you know. Uh, basically doing one and do the same thing as he's doing go to the forest to do suicide so i don't know much about this film but it makes me want to go watch that film here soon but so yeah that is the holy movie trailer i have of this week okie dokie everyone that was brian with his movie trailer i am kind of interested in seeing this movie as well I think it looks pretty cool. I also have never heard of this 
forest before either. It's crazy how many people go there to commit suicide every year, you know, not do suicide. Because, you know, it's commit to not do. But, hey, the only problem I have with that trailer is that there looks like there's going to be some spooky stuff going on before she goes to the forest that kind of tells her, come to the forest, your sister is here. Um, I don't think that's very... I don't know. I don't. I don't like that as much. I think they should save all the spooky stuff for when she goes to the forest. I think what they should do, or I don't know if they're going to do or not. I honestly think that perhaps maybe she finds a suicide note from her sister saying, "I went to this forest to kill myself, old Japanese style." And that's why she goes out, you know, trying to find her instead of like some creepy thing saying like, come to your forest, your sister is here. (laughs) But, you know, they don't put me in charge of these movies. What's saying that, you know, I don't know. But next up, we got Robbie. He got some movie reviews again for you and then afterwards i have one movie that i saw so i will save mine for last because we got something else with robbie afterwards and you know i want to break it up a little bit so here we go here is robbie with his movie reviews Alright, it is Box Office Robbie. I'm here with some more movie reviews. As usual, I watched four films this week. So, first up, I watched The Visit, directed by M. Night Shyamalan. I, in my opinion, I think this is probably his best film he's made since 2004, uh, The Village. I don't think it's as good as The Village, and really, I'm not that big of a fan of The Village either. The only really three films from him I like a lot is Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, and Signs. Since then, he's been mostly Miss, and at best, Average. (laughs) But this this new film here, it's kind of like a found footage, you know, POV film, which I'm not a fan of the found footage genre at all curse the day they ever released the Blair Witch Project which kind of started this whole crazy genre that they seem to not be letting go I understand that that film back then shocked everybody and made more money than it ever should have so everybody's like oh let's make a found footage film and hope it'll break out and be a huge success like the Blair Blair Witch Project did not the case anymore. Most of these films bomb. Everybody's pretty tired of them. This one here, though, actually was pretty successful at the box office. Um, it's actually the highest grossing horror film so far of 2015. Hopefully that'll change soon with a little film called Crimson Peak in October here. But this film now... It's basically about uh, two kids that's going off to see their grandparents. Uh, they're actually going to meet and stay with them. They've never met them before. have no idea what they look like. 
apparently, I guess, uh, their mom never showed them any pictures of what their grandparents look like. So, their mom is, like, going off on vacation in this film, and the kids pretty much go stay with the grandparents for a few days. And when they get there, they kind of, everything kind of seems all gravy and, you know, their typical grand, nice grandparents. But as soon as, like, the night falls at nighttime, it's, they seem to, especially the grandma, they, she seems to have, like, these up, up all night, can't sleep, walking around, she's throwing up. Next thing you know, she's crawling around crazy, and she's walking around with a knife. So... The kids start to really question, you know, what's going on with their grandparents. And when they question them, like, during the daytime, like, they question the grandpa about the gr some of the things the grandma's doing. And, you know, he's blaming it on sundowning and Alzheimer's, things like that. And same thing when they question the grandma about things that's, you know, the grandpa's doing weird. She's kind of, you know, basically blaming it on old age. So that's kind of how the film goes, and it kind of slowly builds a little bit, and eventually things start to get a little more terrifying. And then, of course, with all M. Night Shyamalan's films, there's always a plot twist at the end, and that is the case here in this one, too. I started to gather about maybe a little past halfway through the film that this twist that was coming was probably what I was thinking, and it turned out to kind of be what it was. Um, it, it, the twist is kind of good, but all in all, this film is is kind of just average to me. It's got a couple good jump moments, but overall, there's nothing really ever truly terrifying and scary about this film at all. And I wasn't crazy about the, the whole POV filming. I just, like I said... I, I've never been crazy about the found footage genre. So overall for the visit, I gave 6.0 stars. Better than his recent films, but still not good enough. Next, I viewed this little film that probably most people's never heard of. It's called Turbo Kid. It's a action horror sci-fi film. This movie's kind of like a throwback to the cheesy B-movies of like... You know, the 1980s. You know, like the cheesy, gory sci-fi films. I love the soundtrack to this movie. As soon as it comes on, the soundtrack hits you loud and clear. It feels like a throwback to uh, great cinema scores of the 80s. And great, great soundtracks, you know. You get the feel of like some of that John Carpenter type music, you know. The, the, the score is just piercing, it, you know. As soon as you hear it. You're like, oh, this is awesome. So I really love the score and the soundtrack to this film. I actually think this is a pretty good entertaining movie. I, I love how it's a throwback to those old uh, gory sci-fi cheesy films. This is a cheesy movie, but if you love some of those old cheesy movies and you appreciate them, you'll really like this movie. So if you're a fan of a lot of horror films in the 70s and mostly 80s that... A lot of probably younger kids and young young adults these days that probably have never heard of or seen. Then you'll really like this uh, film Turbo Kid. It's basically uh, post-apocalyptic. It's kind of like after the end of the world. and uh, it, The movie kind of reminds you of like Mad Max quite a bit. But 
they're they're but Mad Max more on like bicycles. <laughs> it's a it's a very good film. I gave it a seven point five stars out of ten. I highly recommend it. But at the same time, like I said, if you don't like those kinds of cheesy old sci-fi horror films, then you might not like this. So it's it's probably not everybody's cup of tea, but it was definitely mine. I enjoyed it. I like it. I recommend it, especially to people who grew up watching 80s films. Next up, I watched Entourage. It's the uh, film off of the HBO series. They're kind of doing what like Sex and the City did. They made a you know big box office film of it. Uh, the whole entire original cast is back. Uh, Kevin Connolly, Adrian Greener, Kevin Dillon, uh, Jerry Ferreira. Joining, and, I'm sorry, I also forgot about Jeremy Pivens in it. Also. I didn't watch the HBO show, and I know it was a hit show uh, year, uh, not too long ago. So I didn't watch the show, so I really can't compare this movie to the show. But... Going by what a lot of I've read, if if you like the show, you'll probably like this movie a lot. The movie's at really outrageous and hilarious, and there's about a million like cameos in this film. Like from the moment it comes on to the end of the film, I, if you wrote down everybody that's in this film, there's a long list of celebrity uh, stars in this film, from movie stars to singers to sports athletes. The list just goes on and on on everybody that's in this film. It starts to become a joke in itself. <laughs> but the movie's very funny. I'm not. I wasn't crazy about the plot and story. I just never. I think I've said this now in a couple previous um, podcast um, editions that I, I've never really been big on a movie about making a movie. And that's kind of a little bit of the storyline for this film. But overall, I enjoyed the movie. I wasn't bored. And it does have some really funny laughs in it. I thought Jeremy Piven is hilarious in it. If you like him in some of his movies, I recommend checking it out just for a lot of his scenes. He He's just always over-the-top funny. So my final rating for Entourage is 6.5 stars. The last film I watched is called Lila and Eve. This is kind of another film probably not too many people's heard of. But it stars Viola Davis and Jennifer Lopez. The movie is basically about a grieving mother who turns vigilante to bring justice to her son's killers. Sounds familiar, right? Especially if you've seen the Death Wish movies. <laughs> it also kind of, for some reason when I think of Death Wish, I also think of Gary Busey and Eye of the Tiger. I'm not sure if... How many people have seen that old 80's film. But it's one of my favorite from Gary Busey. So her uh, son in the beginning of this film. Is shot and killed by some guys. That just pull up and do a drive by. So she's kind of a grieving mother. Goes to some counseling classes. W with other grieving mothers. And there she meets Jennifer Lopez. Who also lost a child. And they pretty much kind of team up together to go find some answers and bring her son's killers to justice. This film here also has a surprising plot twist. You'll you would when you get to it, you'll be thinking that M. Night Shyamalan is directing this film, but he's not. <laughs> uh, this one here, I looked at my wife. This plot twist here, 
I looked at my wife halfway through it and 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 told her that I think this is about to happen. I said, I'm getting this vibe that there's a big twist coming. And I told her what I thought it was, and that's exactly what it turned out to be. So I called this one. A, I would be very intrigued to see if a lot of other people called it, because it was kind of a little obvious to me. But I guess if you're not paying attention to some of the signs, you might not notice it. Um, but I did. Uh, overall, this is a very entertaining film. Uh, you're not bored in it. It's just not a great film, even though Viola Davis and Jennifer Lopez do a great job in it, especially Viola Davis. Um, her acting in it as a grieving mother, wanting justice, you just really f connect with her and feel you know, her pain that she's going through and wanting justice for you know, her son's killers. I, I would be in the same position if something happened to one of my kids. But at the same time, as the movie goes on, it starts to get a little bit corny, I think. And then you add in the plot twist. So it's not a powerful film like it, it could have been. But there are definitely power, powerful moments in it. Especially with Viola Davis. Some of her acting in it is pretty good. So my overall rating for Lila and Eve is 6.75 stars. It's a pretty good solid film. Not a great film. But um, I definitely recommend checking it out. So that is my movie reviews of the week. This is Box Office Robbie. I'm out. Okay, everyone, that was Robbie with his movie reviews. I'd be kind of interested in seeing what the visit is like. I hope that Inlight Shaman's starting to come back because, you know, we all miss his earlier films. Just saying. Also, Turbo Kid, I've seen most of this movie. <laughs> And what I didn't fall asleep for. So, um, yeah. But the movie I saw this week was a new release. I actually got to go see a new release for once. This movie is called The Martian. I actually read the book before going and seeing this movie. I felt like this movie did the book uh, justice really good. I thought the story was really great. It was a. Uh, it was more original, but yet not. It's another one of those movies where someone gets stranded somewhere, but with this movie, he's not just stranded. They actually, you know, want to save him, or know that he's stranded, know that he's alive. I know the only other movie that comes to mind right now is Castaway, but in Castaway, you know, they just assume that Tom Hanks was dead, and this story. They find out that, spoiler alert, that Matt Damon is live through different satellite images because on his uh, base, which is called the HAB, different stuff is getting moved around, like the Mars rover that he has because there's two. And this woman that works the satellites starts noticing this and reports it to the main or one of the main people that runs nasa his name is vincent kapoor in the book his name was vankant kapoor he was an indian person but i guess chuatel edgefor actually decided hey i'm gonna be in this movie so they made it vincent so they don't have to have an indian person which is fine i i, I think he did a good job but i'll get there after you know i talk about the story a little bit so for the most part the story it got 
in between average and best because like i said it did have a lot of original aspects to it but the fact is is that there are other movies out there that have been done where someone is stranded somewhere no other movies where someone has been stranded on mars but it is what it is very very good storyline if you have not read the book, I highly suggest go read this book or go download the audiobook of it. It's very good. The audiobook is very well voiced. I feel like the guy does a great job doing different voices for all the different characters. Very, very much recommend. The story had a lot of very good humor in it also to kind of break up the tension I thought it was really good. Speaking of, you know, doing that, the main actor, which was Matt Damon, or Matt Damien, according to Brian, he did a great job. He was able to pull off being funny and serious all at the same time. The character in the book kind of has a sarcastic humor about him, and they were able to translate this from the pages of the book to the movie. Which I'm very happy for. There's a lot of good, hilarious scenes in this. One one scene, they have kind of like an Iron Man reference to. It's towards the end. I'm not going to give anything away, any good plot points, but I think that part is very goodly done. So all in all, for the main acting of this... <clears throat> sorry, I could not give this, you know the best because i mean i don't think he gave i don't know if it's an oscar worthy performance from him but it's very very close i wish i could give this more than a 0.25 i wish it was like a 0.15 but we like to do everything in quarters moving on to supporting acting there's this movie had a lot of people had sean bean chuatil edgefor Kristen wig Jeff Daniels, Jennifer Chastain, Michael Pena, Sebastian Stan, Kate Mara. Big, big cast. A lot of well-known names. I think they all did great. I don't think there was a weak link anywhere. The only complaint I have is that they had Sean Bean in this movie, but didn't really seemed like they used him very much i know in the book his character mitch was more there and it seems like he was more of a background character which that kind of sucks because you know you got john bean use him he's a good actor there's this one scene i don't want to give anything away but there's a lord of the uh lord of the rings reference which john bean says or Sean Bean's part of the conversation about this Lord of the Rings reference, which is hilarious. I remember reading the book. I was driving to work, and as soon as they said something about the meeting of Elrond, which is a secret meeting Lord of the Rings, I I thought that was hilarious. And when they talked about the new pro this is one of the new projects in the movie it's supposed to be like a secret project and they call it uh, project Elrond because of the secret project from lord of the rings 
and there's one person that says something about like what what's what's Elrond and then Strong Bean's like oh that's a secret meeting in Lord of the Rings and I thought that was hilarious that he was the person that brings that up and sorry if I ruined that for you I just really wanted to talk about that part because I thought that was one of the funnier scenes in the movie which there's a lot there's a lot of really funny scenes now the score I it's average there's nothing really too great about it there, there are some good parts but i don't really consider the score it's more of like a plot device there are scenes where matt damon's kind of like grooving to disco but that's because one of his crew members left behind a big collection of disco music and that's like the only thing he has to listen to is nothing but disco music i really wouldn't put that towards the score because that's like i said more of a plot device it's not something in the background moving the story along that's just a plot device now, special effects, I didn't take anything off for special effects. I thought they were very good. The Hermes, which is the ship that brings them to and from Mars, I thought that ship was really well put together. It looked like they went into space and it was actually filming a real-life spaceship. I really thought that they did a good job of how they developed gravity for the ship. The ship is a very long piece with a couple spinning parts around several different spots in it and these spinning parts are like the gym your sleeping quarters and you know so on and so forth the whole idea behind the different compartments spinning around the main access is that with it spinning that creates its own gravity so they they don't have to use anything else to kind of fix themselves to the floor and they're not floating around 24 7 because when you're in space and you're just floating around 24 7 your muscle starts to atrophy you're going to have bad blood pressure because your blood's not going to very move very well because you know your move, blood wants to move down then gets pumped back up and it's, it's just not going to work as well <laughs> I, I i thought that that was done really well there's a couple scenes where you know something goes wrong that goes very well they did a very good job with that i don't want to really specify what goes wrong there at the end matt damon has to make a couple repairs on something and how this thing has to fly and stuff it's done very well overall the the whole movie is done very good i know i there even like the dust storms i feel are done pretty good especially at the beginning of the movie that's why he gets stranded because there's this big dust storm that comes around he gets impelled by an antenna and they think he's dead because the gets impelled to his life support systems i know neil degrasse tyson had talked about how he feels like this would not actually happen because of there's a very low air pressure on Mars, it's like one percent of Earth's atmosphere, and with that, there are dust storms, but they pick up like the teeniest, smallest little particles. In the movie, there's like these big like flakes that you can see that are flying, and according to him, that the those big flakes like that would not even they would not be able to get picked up with the wind and everything so uh, overall it that's good <laughs> entertaining entertainment 
I thought it was very good. It was better than average. It wasn't like nonstop. There were a couple slow parts, but because of that, I you know took off a little bit. Sorry for the banging sounds. I have a dog. He's chewing on a bone in the kitchen, not on the carpet in the living room, in the kitchen. So sorry. I'm in like mid-sentence here, and I don't want to stop recording. Uh, rewatchability, real quick. I thought this movie, I think this movie is going to be a movie that I'm going to watch a lot. It's, I think it's going to be one of those movies that's going to turn into a, be a classic. I really like this movie. Overall, at the end of the day, I had to give this movie an 8.5. I sincerely think this movie deserves it. I know it's a very high rating, especially coming from me. <laughs> but this this is a movie that deserves it. And I know it did very well at the box office, which I am not surprised by. So, since since it's the month of October, we have decided to do our newly done top 10 list of October to be what are the top 10 horror movies that are must-sees? What top 10 horror films are our favorites? I know Brian didn't do his top 10 last time. There is some miscommunication, apparently. That or Brian just doesn't listen. But first first episode, this episode for October, we got Robbie doing his top 10 list. This would probably be the top 10 list to go by because he's more of the horror expert. I, myself, I'm not like too, too into horror movies. I like horror movies, but I've seen too many silly ones that, you know, I hear like, oh, horror movies, I don't know, bad taste in my mouth, but... If it's done good, I like the movie. There are tons and tons of horror movies that I like. Don't get me wrong. But there's also a lot of bad ones. But if you want to see some good ones, here is the top ten list of horror movies for the month. Or for the week. Because next week Brian's going to do his and then I'm going to do mine. Or I'm going to do my next week and then Brian. Or I'll do my next week and then Brian will forget about it. But... Top 10 list, Robbie. Here we go. Hey, everybody. It's Box Office Robbie, and I am here with my top 10 horror films of all time. 10 of my favorites. Um, pretty much my top 10 here is really hard to pick. I mean, I could give you probably 50 films easily that I'm crazy about throughout the years in the horror genre. But I feel real comfortable with my top four or five. I think my second half is a pretty good, strong uh, list of films itself. It's just you could probably easily rotate films in and out. Uh, but I would say my top five is definitely uh, five of my favorite films. So let's get into <clears throat> the top ten list here. In the number ten spot, I have the 1960 classic from Alfred Hitchcock, Psycho. This is one of the very first shocking horror films that ever came out. It really kind of pushed the boundaries um, in the horror genre. And Alfred, Alfred Hitchcock landed a classic here that has inspired many future horror films. You know, all the way up to the Halloween, even Scream in 1996. And uh, today is just, you know, iconically... Um, 
one of the greatest horror films ever made. So, and the nice spot I have, the Stanley Kubrick film, The Shining, came out in 1980. Jack Nicholson's the star of it. Who doesn't love this film, The Shining? Uh, red rum, red rum. In the number eight spot, I have The Omen. Came out in 1976 with Gregory Peck. This is a great film. Don't know too many people that doesn't love the uh, first Omen. I even like the sequels a lot. But the first Omen, the score, which they pretty much use in the sequels too, the score is just one of those cinema scores that it doesn't really matter what's going on in the film. When you hear that, that score, it's piercing, it's scary, it's terrifying. Love the Omen film. Look out for Damien. 666 on his head. <laughs> In the 7th spot, I have The Evil Dead, 1981, the original. I kind of went back and forth here with if I wanted to do the original Evil Dead or the Evil Dead sequel. I kind of consider both these films a tie. The Evil Dead sequel is almost just like a remake with better effects, but I really enjoyed the uh, original Evil Dead for... Uh, more of the horror side. It seemed like every Evil Dead sequel got a little bit more comedy into it. The, but the, the the second film really blended the the horror and comedy really well together. Uh, where when by the time we got to the third film, Army of Darkness, it's pretty much straight up comedy and not too much uh, horror. Even though I enjoy that film too, in its own. But the original Evil Dead does have a slight bit of comedy into it too and it's cheesy they, it's cheap made but it is really well put together and Bruce Campbell is amazing in it and it's definitely one of my favorite horror films of all time I have that at number 7 in the 6th spot I have the sci-fi film that is actually a remake but it came out in 1982 and it is from horror icon director John Carpenter, I have The Thing. Who doesn't love this film? Kurt Russell is amazing in it. And when this movie came out, you just knew that John Carpenter was really something special after um, some of his previous films before this, which uh, most notable would be the 1978 Halloween. When he came out with this movie, The Thing, you knew this was a great director that uh, was here to stay for years to come. In the fifth spot, we have zombies. My favorite zombie movie ever made is The Dawn of the Dead. came out in 1978. Um, George A. Romero directs it. The zombie icon director. Pretty much if a zombie film was being made, George A. Romero was probably directing it. <laughs> and I really like the remake of The Dawn of the Dead, but the original Dawn of the Dead is just masterful put together. Uh, the cast, which was uh, mostly unknown at that time. Tom Savini's in it, who's the special effects makeup. He also has a, a role in it. He's great in it, and his... Uh, his special effects still to this day stand the test of time and it's amazing what they did back then in the, uh, the 70s and 80s. 
So Dawn of the Dead is at number five. In the fourth spot, I have Wes Craven's A Nightmare on Elm Street, 1984. This was the beginning of Freddy Krueger. Wes Craven already had several cult classic films um, under his belt in the 70s, but when he made the A, Night- A Nightmare on Elm Street in 84, he, he really landed his greatest film he's ever made up to that point. <laughs> And the reason why I say up to that point is because my favorite Wes Craven film is that number three. In the third spot, I have the 1996 film Scream. So this this film here gave us Ghostface. It's a slasher film. It, what's great about the Scream film is they 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 honor and poke fun a little bit at the cliches of horror films in the past. But they do it in a way that it's not really disrespectful and and they're really honoring it. They really, I would say, they probably mostly pay homage to the the 1960s uh, Psycho and the 1978 Halloween. Which they actually play a lot of that film's scenes during some of Scream's climatic scenes. This is one of my favorite uh, horror films of all time. I can watch this movie over and over and over. Alright, so moving on to the top two. This is where it gets really close. In the second spot, I have the 1973, probably considered to most horror fans, the most scariest horror film ever made. It is The Exorcist. If you want to watch a movie that is downright scary when you watched it as a kid, when you watched it as a teenager, or when you watched it as a grown adult, it still is scary as hell to this day. Linda Blair did an amazing job in that film at such a young age. You just can't go wrong with The Exorcist. It'll scare the hell out of you every time. From the uh, amazing soundtrack... That's one thing I haven't really mentioned yet. Most of these films in my top ten, if you really go through and look, they got great sound horror soundtracks, great cinema score. Uh, a lot of these soundtracks you could probably hum yourself, and The Exorcist is one of them. So now moving on to my number one film of all time, and this has been my number one film horror film of all time since I was a little kid. Here is a taste of one of its scenes. Here is my number one film. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him, and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. Okay, so number one for me is John Carpenter's 1978 classic, Halloween. To me, this is the greatest horror film ever made. It is scary, it's frightening, you don't need any backstory. As far as why this guy is is crazy and you know just a psychopath, 
you know, the remake Rob Zombie did, even though I actually liked the remake, you know, they try to go into a backstory and, uh, you know, give you a little prequel setting of why he is the way he is. And the original John Carpenter classic didn't really do that too much. Yes, they did give you the opening scene of him stabbing his sister to death, you know, nude up in her room, brushing her hair in front of the mirror. <laughs> but the John Carpenter's classic is terrifying mainly just because of the score. If you go back and listen to the whole soundtrack of that, which John Carpenter did himself, which even that's that's one thing that's even more brilliant about John Carpenter is he does all the scores himself to to uh for his films and he really nailed one of the most chilling uh cinema scores in, in the history of uh, filmmaking with his Halloween uh themes and you know from the way he filmed these uh movies with the camera angles, camera shots. Uh, what's also amazing about the the original Halloween is that when they filmed the movie, it really wasn't uh, even around Halloween time. I believe it was like the month of April, and they actually uh, uh, colored a lot of the leaves themselves and made leaves and um, kind of threw them around a little, blow everywhere, and they, then they kind of had to regather them up to spread them out, and you know, in a different shot. Um, if you rewatch Halloween, you can really see that the the leaves are actually kind of uh, green. Um, but it's, so it's amazing how uh, the film isn't even in the fall, you know, setting, but they still was able to capture that time of the year. It, it's just an overall amazing film uh, from the beginning to the uh, climatic ending. Uh, Donald Pleasance does amazing in it uh, Jamie Lee Curtis it was her debut role um, and her her mother was famous uh, for Psycho so they're both kind of considered screen queens but this is just an overall amazing film I think most horror film lists you go to you'll see this film up high on the list for me it's the number one film so I will be interesting to see what Zach and Brian picks for their top 10 list. This is mine. This is Box Office Robbie. I am out. Alright everyone, that has been the top 10 list from Robbie. And this concludes this week's cinema update. Come back next week. We'll probably have another episode on Wednesday or Thursday. We'll see. But either way, we'll see you guys next week. Peace.